you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, church. Uh, Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 119, reading from verses 129 to 136. So Psalm 119, beginning at verses 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, there was this radio show called Love Song Dedications. Uh Uh, It was hosted by this bloke called Richard Mercer, who had this really deep, soothing voice. He was like the love doctor, bringing people together. Uh, Someone would call in, you know, Danny from Frankston, uh, he'd stuffed up and wanted to say sorry. And and then Richard would do the talking for this guy. He's like, you know, Cheryl, Danny feels really, really bad about what he's done. Maybe you could give him another chance. And then he played some Celine Dion song from the Titanic or Whitney Houston's uh, Bodyguard song, something like that. Uh, Now, I'm saying all that because today we have a love song dedication as well, Uh, but with a bit of a difference. Today we're looking at Psalm 119, which is really like a love song dedication, but with a difference, it's a love song dedicated to the law of God. Now, Psalm 119 is, of course, the longest psalm in the Bible, 176 verses. I bet you were worried uh, when we started the Bible reading. Uh, It's actually split up across 22 stanzas or parts, each of them having their own contained structure and content. But one thing holds them all together, their fascination, their love for God's law. Uh, This law of God is the law that God gave to his people as he brought them up out of Egypt and set them up in the promised land. You can find them in the first parts of the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Some of those laws you'll recognize straight away, the Ten Commandments, for instance, but there's actually a lot more than that as well, 613 of them, in fact, and they range over a really wide variety of subjects and ideas. Uh, often scholars kind of divide them up into three categories just as a way of categorizing them. Uh, we have ceremonial laws that are to do with the way God's people should worship him. There's civic laws uh, establishing the structures of Jewish society because it was actually a theocracy living under God. Uh, and then there's moral laws, the deep kind of ethical principles that we find in things like the Ten Commandments. Uh, and all of this is the focus of Psalm 119. Uh, God's law is given different names. It's your word, your statutes, your precepts, your rules, your testimonies, your commandments, your law. But whatever it's called, it brings out this great celebration, this genuine and deep love. Now, that's 
a pretty strange thing for us to consider. Uh, I don't know if you've heard many songs written about road rules. Uh, <laughs> I should have a hook turn, a hook turn. Uh, <laughs> I certainly haven't heard any love songs dedicated to the current laws that we have in place here in Melbourne. Uh, no one's singing about the curfew or the social bubble rules. So why are these laws, why are God's laws being celebrated? Well, I want to suggest that there's kind of three main reasons for it. And uh, I'm going to go through a bunch of verses from right across Psalm 119. And you actually find in the chat box uh, a little file that will kind of give you some of those verses as I go through them. The first thing I see is that God's law is celebrated because it's good. And it's good because God is good. Uh, there's something intrinsically good and noble about God's law, something almost aesthetically beautiful about them. Uh, if you heard the sermon today at the Movement Digital, Psalm 19, uh, Nick was preaching from that. And, and you see in that passage that God's law is perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's true, it's sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb, we're told. And you get the same impression as you go through Psalm 119. Uh, God's testimonies are something to delight in, in verse 14. It's something to sing about. Your statutes have been my songs, verse 54. They're like a special treasure, verse 127. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, verse 162. Or verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So there's something fundamentally good about God's law, something pleasing about it. And really, uh, that's because it shows us that God himself is good. I actually have an interesting testimony about this from a friend of mine. Uh, when I was still at City on a Hill, Melbourne, uh, before we planted West, uh, there was a bloke I got to know who was studying to be a lawyer. Uh, and when you're studying law, you really go deep into studying the actual laws. You read the laws that are on the statute books and you really analyze them and, and try to understand them, but also pick them apart. Now, and this bloke told me one, that one summer he set himself the task of studying God's laws. And he said he was struck by just how good they were, how clear they were, how well written they were, how uh, very succinctly they would outline exactly what was required and the reasons for it were very evident. There was something good about those laws. Again, to contrast where we are at the moment, we don't necessarily feel like we can understand that there's a need for certain rules right now, but it's hard to understand how they all work. Uh, so, for instance, if you've uh, got an intimate partner, they can visit you and have other people in the house with you. But if you're just single, uh, then all the other people in that house have to be absent when you go and visit them even though if they leave the house, they're not actually supposed to leave the house because there's only four essential reasons to leave the house, it doesn't really make sense. It's not clear. It's not explained what's going on. But God's laws are not like that. They're clear and they're logical. They're good. That's because God himself is good. God's law reveals his character. Verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. God's law is good because God is good. Uh, and then the second thing that we notice is that God's law shows us how to be good like God is good. Um, God's law reveals his goodness. It springs from his good character. And then it shows us how to be like him. Uh, we've been made in God's image, in his likeness. We've been created to be like the creator. Now, sin has fractured that image. It's distorted it. 
we are not instinctively like God. We don't instinctively know what to do or how to live. But God's law shows us. It calibrates, it recalibrates our thinking. It shows how we can model ourselves on him, what practical things we can do to become like God. And so you'll actually often see that the psalm writers talk about walking in the ways of God. They recognize that obedience isn't just to this abstract set of rules. It's actually uh, the rules reflect a person, God. And so when we follow the rules, we're actually following the person. We're we're mimicking and imitating uh, the God who wrote those rules. And uh, this really is the passion of Psalm 119. The more you understand God's goodness, the more you want to be like him. And so the more you want the instructions to know how to do that. So verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. I see all around me that there is that you are a God of love. So teach me, show me what it looks like for me to be a person of love. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I want to be just like you. That's that's the passion of Psalm 119. So God's law shows us what God is like and shows us how we can be like him. God's law is good and it shows us how to be good like God is good. Uh, And this is the prayer of Psalm 119, verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Here's the psalmist saying, look, you've made me. I want to understand what it looks like to be a human. You've created me on purpose. So show me how to live the right way. Uh, Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They're showing me what to do. Uh, Or perhaps my favorite, Psalm, uh, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Mm. I remember someone helpfully explaining this for me. Um, Imagine you're walking through the bush in the dark and you've got a torch. You shine the torch in front of you. It's, It's a lamp to your feet showing you the next step. And then sometimes you lift the torch up. Now it's a light to your path showing you not just the next step, but the terrain around you, ahead of you. So it is with God's word. He gives us wisdom for the next step, what to do today, what you need to do in this situation or that situation. And then he gives you the wisdom for your whole life, how to shape your entire life, not just today, but this week and this year and this decade, your whole life. He gives you the whole thing. God's law shows us what God is like and shows us how we can be like him. And thirdly, God's law shows us the good life. Uh, The way of wisdom or knowing how to live the right way is also the way of blessing. And that's what we see in this psalm, verse 1 to 3. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Now, Coy picked this up in the first week of our Psalms series. By following God's ways, his laws, we find blessing. This isn't an earned blessing. Uh, That really needs to be established. That's kind of the corrupt version you have in the prosperity gospel. What it's saying here is that there is a logical outworking of following God's wisdom. If wisdom is knowing how to live, then God knows how we should live. And if we follow his laws, then things will work out well. Uh, You can almost think of it in terms of consequences. Just as there are negative consequences for folly, so there are positive consequences for wisdom. Uh, If you commit adultery, your life will be a mess and you'll be unhappy. If you follow God's wisdom, stay committed to your marriage and uphold that, 
then your life will be more fulfilling. Um, and that's really what this psalm promises as well. Verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. It doesn't mean that they're never going to have difficult seasons in their life. But even in those moments, they'll have perspective and they'll find peace and even joy. Uh, and I love how the psalmist has actually experienced this. Verse 140, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Yeah, he's walked through all of his life and he's seen that following God is always the best thing to do. And yet, if the law points to God's blessing, it can also point to God's curse for our disobedience. You see, if the law shows us how we should live, it also shows us how we do live. It shows us the standard and how far we've fallen short of that. I mean, just take the Ten Commandments. Have you always honoured your parents? Have you never borne false witness or, or lied? Have you ever coveted? Of course you have. So you've broken the law of God. You've fallen short of God's requirements. So what do we do about that? Well, there's kind of a few options. The first option is to just dismiss God's law, ignore it, make up our own rules. But that won't work. It's a little bit like ignoring an infringement notice for a parking fine. The longer you do it, the worse the debt becomes. Okay, so sometimes we might be tempted to kind of reduce. Uh, we can't reach God's high standards, so we try to lower those standards. Mm. That's effectively what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. Uh, it wouldn't have looked like it. They were very conscientious. But they uh, made the law about purely external things and focus on the outward observance of the law. Lots of people do that today as well. Look, I'm a good person because I haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus exposes that. He shows us just how deep the law goes. Think about Matthew 5 uh, and the Sermon on the Mount. He says, You've heard that it was said, of old, uh, said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then think about uh, adultery, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying that the law of God, we can't just keep it at a surface level, an outward way. It's an inward thing. So we can't just reduce God's demands. Okay, so maybe the third option is that we just try harder. We just keep working harder hoping that we'll get better. But that's not enough either. It doesn't work. Galatians 3 verse 10, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of, law, book of the law and do them. If we don't hit it perfectly, completely, then we're cursed. We're under God's judgment. We can try harder. We can maybe make a few improvements. But unless we keep it perfectly... We lie under God's judgment. And so we see that while the law shows us God's character, it also shows us our character. It shows us what God is like and what we are like. It shows us what we are made to be and what we actually are. The law points us to the good life and God's blessing, but it also points us to our bad life and God's curse or his judgment. But the wonderful thing is, the law also points us to God's grace in Jesus. You see, the law is meant to show us up, and it's meant to show us our need for a saviour. 
See, the, the moral law, for instance, points us to God's character and our sin. The civic law shows us that we need God to be king and, and we resist that. The ceremonial law gives us a way to approach God and then shows us how we need him to approach us. And that's exactly what he did. In Jesus, God came into the world to keep the law for us and to save us from its curse. Uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, right in the midst of saying uh, what it actually looks like to keep the law, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is the wonder of the gospel. Uh, Jesus, God, came to this world to keep the law for us on our behalf. Jesus stepped in for you and for me. He obeyed God's law for us, and then he took on the punishment for our failure to obey. He lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross. Death was the penalty for anyone who broke the law, but Jesus died for us to take that penalty away from us. And we know that it was effective because he rose from the dead. He defeated the grave, and it demonstrated that he'd paid the full penalty. And because of what Christ has done, our relationship to the law is changed. First of all, Christ has freed us from the curse of the law. Uh, even though we've failed to keep the law, God will not hold that, hold that against us. When we come face to face with God and he asks us how we've gone obeying the law, he will look at Jesus and what he has done. Romans 6.15, we're not under the law, but under grace. God will judge us not according to our disobedience, but according to Christ's obedience. So he's freed us from the curse of the law. And secondly, he's freed us from certain parts of the law. The law po pointed to our need for a saviour. And because Christ has fulfilled the law, some of those, some parts of the law are now obsolete. Uh, the laws about the temple, for instance, are no longer relevant. Because Christ has replaced the temple. We, he is the meeting place for us and God. And yet, here's the third thing. Uh, this doesn't mean that the law has no relevance. And really, here's the idea. That Christ has freed us to obey the law. Uh, when Paul says that we're not under the law, but under grace, he's not saying that the law is irrelevant to us. Because the law still shows us God's good character and shows us how we can be like him. Uh, there's something enduring about that. Uh, verse 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. It, the, God's law is a reflection of his character. His character is unchanging, and so it remains valuable for us to follow it. There's an enduring relevance. And so there's, it's still not right to murder or steal. It's still uh, right to worship only God and no false God. It's still right to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to follow God, if you want to know how to live, then still keep God's law. But the crucial difference is you now do it out of freedom. I like how Tim Keller describes it. He says that when we talk about being not under the law, but under grace, he's, he's referring to um, not law obeying, but law relying. Uh, we don't keep the law out of a sense that we can rely on our obedience to save ourselves. We obey it out of love. Now, we have to get this right. Uh, you see, we instinctively approach the law as something to make us righteous, to earn our way to God. If I just keep these laws, God will accept me. But we can't keep these laws. 
and God already knows that. That's why he sent Jesus to keep them for us. And this doesn't mean that we just ignore them because the laws help us to be what we were made to be. And in fact, uh, that's really uh, the grace there was really there all all along. It was always designed to show us uh, God's love and to teach us how to live like him. Uh, Tim Keller, again, goes back to where the law originated from the Exodus and and, uh, when God gave his people the law as they came up out of Egypt. He makes this point. Note, God first rescues the people from Egypt and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. Keeping the Ten Commandments is not what saved them. God had already done that. He'd already brought them out of Egypt. Mm. So Keller says, God did not first give the law and then deliver the people. First, he delivered his people and then he gave them the law. So they weren't saved from Egypt because of their actions. They were saved and then God gave them the law. So what are the implications? Keller goes on. Thus, we are not saved by the law, but saved for the law. The law is how we regulate our love relationship with God, not the way we merit that relationship. Um, So I think it's significant, for instance, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, his last moment with his disciples, just as he's about to say that he's going to, just as he's about to fulfill the law, what does he say to them? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So he knows that he's about to do the obedience that they require, but he still says, keep my commandments as a way of loving me. Show your love for me by following after my law. Keller sums it up like this. When we think we can win God's approval through our moral performance and obedience, it becomes a crushing burden. Then we are under law. But when we learn that Christ has fulfilled the law for us and that now we who believe in him are secure in God's love, then we naturally want to delight, resemble and know the one who has done this. How can we do this? By turning to the law. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. Why don't you, as an exercise... Take the Ten Commandments and go through them. Maybe you could do one a day and really meditate on it. What's good in this law? What does this show me about God's goodness? What does this tell me about his character and his heart? And how can I uh, adopt this? How can I follow this and become more like him? How does this teach me how to live? What is God trying to set me up for in a good way here? And where will be the blessing as I obey it? And you don't even just have to stop with the Ten Commandments. You could go through the rest of God's law as well. And while some of those things don't have the same kind of relevance, the food laws or the ceremonial laws or something like that, they don't have the same relevance. Jesus has fulfilled those things. We can still find principles even in those laws that point us to God's goodness and show us how to live. And actually, as an activity, after this service, if you want to stick around, uh, Daniel Regeri, one of our lay pastors, is going to uh, go through an exercise helping us to see that. So stick around after the service. But as we finish up, I want to encourage us to uh, really uh, see the gospel in God's law. As we see God's standards, confess where we're failing to reach them and thank God, thank Jesus for what he's done to make up for us. Mm. Think of the ways how Jesus uh, shows us God's character and points us to his goodness. How about we pray? Father God, I want to thank you for your law. We thank you that it's pure and true and good and helpful and relevant. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. 
We thank you that you did that for us, that you obeyed it perfectly and you made up for our disobedience. We ask now, Lord, that we will receive your grace and walk in it. And in, in response to your grace, help us to follow your law, not to win your salvation, but to show, us, to show, your, to show you our love for you and to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.